it's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out The Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Um, all right, man, go on. Get bloody going, you. <laughs> God. I'm going all day. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer SC. I'm Mr. Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm fine now. All right. You're testing my Zadok, Kwonga. That's true, actually. Long suffering. If anyone's concerned, it's just tech stuff. Isn't it always? Musa just me? needed to turn it off and on again. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> wow. The granddad of the podcast. I know. It's oh. almost like we've uh, almost done 150 episodes. Yeah, true. At least, I think, two-thirds of those, more so, Yeah. in this current setup, not in the same room. And Wild. Yet, Wild. I still have to tech shame you on the podcast. Tech gremlins, oh my goodness. Yeah, tech shaming. Well, fair enough, really, isn't it? Fair enough. How are you? Ashamed. Uh, <laughs> <and> also, <laughs> ashamed uh, and also slightly restless because these Champions League ties did not give me my vitamins. Weird week, I thought. Yeah. Tough week, I think. Tough week. Yeah, tough week on and off the pitch for a variety of people, I think. Yeah, I mean, on that note, hope everyone's doing okay. Yes. I mean, we know that most people probably aren't, but, you know, mm. try and stay positive if you can. Um, if you want to get in touch about anything, email us stadiofootball at gmail.com unless it's any slander, and then you can tweet out yes you can <laughs> do it. i don't I'm know feeling... why that joke will never not be funny to me it's not even <laughs> funny but i just think you're, you you know you're good you're you're trigger happy on the block of mute so yeah <laughs> uh i've not yet reached that level of notoriety to oh you will you will don't worry you will uh, do you know coming. what i'm kind there's part of me that is kind of looking forward to the day when i can go full chase around on people and feel block, nothing block, block, block party but with 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 like pictures you know like Righty winding up for a shot, 
with the screenshot of someone's really, really horrible tweet. And then right, you're celebrating with another screenshot of them being blocked. I think that's the best way to block people because if you, if you make out you're enjoying the block, then they can't take anything from it. It's actually genius what he does with that. It's genius. That's the thing, man, when people love defending, they love yeah. defending. You can't exactly. hate on them. <laughs> You've got to lean into hate it. Them. They're just like, yeah, celebrating slide tackles. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I hope, I'd rather people not be mean to us both and yeah. then we wouldn't have to block. To get a lot of, uh, a lot of people telling on each other at the moment though online. Quite interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of that. It's interesting. I'm actually just like, let them talk. Let them just. Do you know what I want the Oxford Dictionary, the Oxford Word of the Year to be? Self-snitching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing it out there now. I'm putting it out there. Self-snitching. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. Lovely little hyphenated word there. But yeah, <laughs> what are we talking about? Some admin. Uh, maybe there'll be a piece go up this week on The Ringer. I'm trying to write something. You're yep. doing something next week, right? I should be. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm struggling for themes at the moment, if I'm honest, because it just feels disjointed, a lot of it. I'm just, uh, I'm just having a whinge about UEFA. That's my, my next piece. It's a shame how that's so current at the moment. It's a shame that's a, yeah, yeah. It's not even going to be an opinion piece. It's just going to be a, a wry rant. Yeah. I oh, do you know it's funny. Before we get into the football chat, after the conversation about Lamella and uh, the weaker foot, it's so interesting when you watch Man City. And, and then De Bruyne pings one in from... And Gundogan taking the touch for his second goal yeah. perfectly with the weaker foot. Uh, any other admin? Uh, I'm not sure if there's any other admin. The usual. Stadio Outro's place on Spotify. Please go and like that playlist if you want to follow all the music we play out on each episode. If you never reach that bit of the podcast, if you can never make it to the end of the podcast, first of all, all the best stuff happens at the end. <laughs> yeah, it does. Cool. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, we play out on a different piece of music each episode and we put them all in the playlist. And they're on Spotify. Yeah, I think that's all the admin. Uh, so today we thought that, I, I, right, I don't know about you, but Twitter seemed extremely subdued considering it was a Champions League week. It was. I've never seen it. Well, you said, you said you haven't seen that quite. I haven't seen that quite either. You're right. It's not one of my gigs. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> that is bleak. <laughs> that is bleak. I saw an extremely funny meme yesterday where someone put, um, you know, this whole like plainclothes police officer bullshit that's, that they're putting in in the UK to yeah, put into clubs yeah, when clubs yeah. reopen. And there was just a picture of like Keir Starmer with his hands in his pockets in like a really, just in an empty room. And someone <laughs> was just like, the plainclothes police officer is the only person that your noise gig. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, t- I, t- I told you. <laughs> oh my God. You know what's so bleak? I think I've told you this already, but once had a gig at Plastic People of All Places. And, um, you played at Plastic People? Yeah, yeah. And the headliner pulled out. Were you DJing or was it spoken word thing? It's like a spoken word thing. I didn't uh, know they did spoken word stuff at Plastic People. Yeah, spoken can we word. Just, uh, before, sorry to interrupt, but can we just take a moment to acknowledge how wonderful that place was? It was stunning. One of the most special places on earth, Plastic People in London. What a shame it's not there anymore. Oh man. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And the headliner drops out like, less than an hour before the gig and no one was there to see us. And we basically played to like seven people. They were all staff. Oh no. Oh no. Oh, do you know what? That's going to be like our live shows when we start doing Stadio Live. Oh my gosh. All these these lovely people saying, yeah, you should do live. You should do live. And then we'll turn up somewhere and they'll be like, 
three people there. One will be a doorman, one will be taking the money, and another one will be a bar person. It'll just be you and me being like, you're a catfish. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, so today we will be touching on some of the games from midweek, but we're going to try and frame it around a mailbag, but we let the questions guide us. It's been a while. Let's start with this one from John Larkin. This is a very nice question. Very nice name, like a poet's name, John Larkin. Oh, John Larkin, yeah. the yeah. great John Larkin. I think it's only fair that after weeks slash months of Ryan saying that he hopes that we are all doing okay during the pandemic, that we turn it 180 and check in to see if both him and Musa are doing okay during these weird times. Thanks, John. That's very nice. Thanks, John. Eh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing okay, I suppose. I Yeah, in the grand scheme, and in the small scheme I'm doing, yeah, I'm good, actually. I, I don't really have substantial complaint. I mean, I, I, I whinge, but I whinge about a lot of things. So yeah, I'm good. Cake withdrawal, isn't it mainly? I mean, yeah, that's been You're the main cold challenge. Turkey. Yeah, exactly. Cold donut. Cold bakery. Yeah. <laughs> I alluded to it a little bit on Wright's house last week when we were, when I was on with Ian. Um, oh, that's another bit of admin. You and I were on Wright's house. There you go. You were, yeah. Yeah. Uh, go and check that. It's fun. I think that, yeah, I don't want to make this too serious because it's not really about, you know, this show isn't super really about us, if, if that makes sense, even mm-hmm. though we host it. But, you know, you and I have both lived alone during a pandemic and in a different country to our family. So we haven't even had the potential seeing family to break up the, the kind of monotony of living alone. Yeah. You know, it's, it's been pretty tough, but we, yeah. you know, I think we go through the same stuff that I'm, I assume everyone's going through and we haven't, I don't think we've had it as bad. Maybe obviously we've been quite lucky that this has kept us busy and that alone, I think is something to be super grateful for. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. In the grand scheme of things, I think we've always said this, like even if we've had low points compared to what we ex- we, we know a number of people are going through in the world. We can't complain. Right. Really. Right, I don't right. think. So we try not to. Um, thanks, John, for that. That was a very kind question. Joel Hins. Haven't heard about Moose's trip to Brazil for several episodes now. Does that mean it, ev- it never happened? What trip to Brazil? Exactly. There he is. Finally. We got him. <laughs> we got him. <laughs> Gosh, it was all a lie. <laughs> it was all a dream. <laughs> Used to read Santos magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I was there in Rio for the World Cup last 16. <laughs> I'd love to go to Brazil one day. So yeah, thanks for that question, but I'm not sure what it refers to. Um, yeah, thank you. Musa got bored of me bleeping it out whenever he started referencing Brazil, so we just <laughs> gave up. <laughs> right, let's go on to the football. A lot of Chelsea Atleti chat. So where would you like to start with the Atleti questions or with the Chelsea questions? The Chelsea questions because they won, I think. Okay, Smitty, we have to ask, is Chelsea the third best team in the world right now? Hold that thought. We're going to do a few. Carl Anker. Oh, Hmm. shout to Carl. Get well soon. Yeah. And he's got a busted shoulder. N'Golo Kante spent the first half of this season looking knackered and overwhelmed and now he's looking back to his best. How? Rest. Rest. Nice. Uh, playing in his correct position, I guess. Yeah. Rest and um, rotation. Playing the right position. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just think, yeah, kind of, that's it. I just don't think it's any deeper than that. Tickle knows what he has. I mean, look how Tickle used Ander Herrera in the Champions League, which is very interesting how in the Champions League, um, Final, Ander Herrera was actually, in some respects, PSG's one of the most attacking players. Mm. And Ander Herrera was someone whose attacking instincts were 
not for the first time with a, with a manager like that, somewhat dulled under uh, Jose Mourinho. And it was great to see Tuchel allowing Kante to play in a more expressive fashion. You know, one of the quintessential Kante performances against Uruguay in the 2-0 France uh, World Cup, in the World Cup, they beat, uh, when France beat Uruguay 2-0, they had like 14 ball recoveries. Mm. You've got to unleash Kante to an extent. That's what Tuchel did. So yeah, great to see him back to his form and no coincidence that his best form coincides with one of Chelsea's most impressive disciplined performances in some time. You know, you were, talk- you were doing your uh, managers on MCU recently. Yeah, yeah. You're going to look at players as MC in the MCU. But do you think Kante is like Doctor Strange because appears somewhere and then appears somewhere else and you're convinced that there's more than one of them? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's really good. But also Doctor Strange is really good at defending and attacking. Yes. And Doctor Strange is very good in multiple guises. Yeah. And Kante basically Leicester, France, yeah. Chelsea. He's always got something to offer the other Avengers. We need to do a podcast on this, don't we? Have we already done one? Have we <laughs> like done one? To... Oh, the supervillains, haven't we? Yeah, we, we did, did the superheroes and supervillains, but we didn't name the actual. We just did footballers. We didn't name the the actual characters. We'll do a football MCU. Why not? Yeah, we can do it. Yeah, football's extended. Why not? I mean, why not? Yeah, let's do it. Great shout, though. You know how like some some players. It's, I don't want to say it's performative because that makes it look like they're they're trying to do. They're trying to make it look like they're they're doing something that they're not, but. You can you notice how busy they are, and you notice how much ground they cover. Yes, um, I always use this, and I'm sorry to bring him up again, but Mesut Ozil was a prime example of someone else who would deceptively cover way more ground than you think he would because he just never looked like right. he was working too hard. I think Kante's the same. Kante's constant movement, but always on the periphery, and then all of a sudden he's right where he needs to be. It's like a probably like a an eleven for being. You know that old phrase, and it's a very romantic one. It's just like, no, you know what? I'm exactly where I need to be. You know what that is? That's, that is a podcast, The Unseen Eleven. Yeah, or like the exactly where they need to be Eleven, like Maldini, prime example. Call it the Kid A Eleven, everything in its right place. <laughs> Everyone yes. in their right place. Everyone in their right places. That's good. I like <laughs> the that. The Kid A Eleven, we should do it. But Kante seems to be like that. It's rarely, it's rarely that he gets caught out. I've been watching a lot of Modric highlights recently. Sorry, got into my moments. Um, and he's an interesting one because I'm always fascinated by central midfielders who go all the way out to the touchline. So a lot of centre midfielders, like centre midfielder one-on-one is basically like in front of the back four, plot your space, but the really smart centre midfielders know when to leave that space and when to get back to it. Because if you just stay there, you become predictable. Kante, Modric, Busquets, they're really, really good. I was, I was watching Busquets' position again recently and going, I didn't, I never fully realised, because I didn't watch Busquets every week, I watched quite a bit, but not every week. I never fully realised just how many risks he took. He's one of the riskiest players in world football. Mm. The things he does, you know, if, if Busquets messes up one of those touches, it's like Barca basically like a goal down. Mm. And he did it year in, year out at his peak. Kante as well, Modric as well. Year in, year out, they do things that are so dangerous on the edge of their own box. Let's move on to another question uh, from Jake Klein. Should Chelsea have just played Harvard? Ziyech and Werner together all along and he's playing a back three at the expense of adding Pulisic, Alan Hudson, the Doy, worth it. We'll come back to Smitty's question about yep, yep. are Chelsea the, best third, uh, the third best team in the world because we've got another one that will tie in with that. Thomas Tuchel has, has had the best ever start for a Chelsea manager. The, yeah, the longest ever unbeaten start by a manager f- in Chelsea history. 13 games in all competitions. 
I'm not 100% sure why a number of people are spending a lot of time trying to find things wrong with this Chelsea side at the moment. I don't really get it, if I'm being honest, because I think, all in all, like there was a question that we had, and I can't remember who wrote it, sorry, but it was like, will Chelsea ever score three goals ever again? Yeah, of course they will. Yeah, they will. Of course they will. You're, what you're seeing here is a prime example of the first thing that he's tried to do is to make them hard to beat. Yes. Because if you look at what Pep says, what Klopp says, what Arteta did, numerous managers like that, is that like Pep said something amazing when he said, you can, you can only really attack super freely if you know that the guys behind you are solid. If you know that you're not going to con- concede goals, it gives you an added confidence when you attack. Look at how Liverpool have fallen apart this season because their defensive stability and cohesion is just all gone. Yes. Look at the knock-on effects that that has caused that side for the whole season. It's not a coincidence. And what happened with Liverpool? What was the main turning point for them in terms of signings? A centre-back and a goalkeeper. Solidity at the back completely unlocked Liverpool going forward. They had pretty much the same attacking tools. They had Salah, Mane and Firmino. They had a pretty similar looking midfield. But Van Dijk and Alisson completely turbocharged that Liverpool side because yep. of the knock-on effects around them and the added solidity that it had at the back and the confidence that it gave the front players. At Chelsea, I genuinely think the most impressive thing has been the clean sheets and yes. the lack of goals conceded because they were leaky. And we said they were very top-heavy at the beginning of the season. They had so much talent up top and in attacking positions, but we... We were worried. I thought Thiago Silva was a great signing, but I think that they were still a little bit, you know, at the back. I think Mendy was a great signing as a goalkeeper. Christensen's been very impressive. Yeah, I think Mendy, like, have you ever seen a more chill goalkeeper? Peak van der Sar. Good shout. It's the only, Peak van der Sar is the only one, and I'm not just saying that because he was United, I mean, because Peak van der Sar was was very, yeah, he was very chill. But Peak van der Sar maybe at Juve or, but, but he's in that class. He's in that yeah, class. Every time they cut to him after he's made a save, he's just like smoking a cigar. <laughs> never like, you know, they're like clapping hands, like, come on, lads, what are you doing? Like, it's just very much just like, yeah, it's all good. It's Transmits all good. calm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that is, that is such a great quality for a goalkeeper. Such a great quality. I, I, I really rate him. I think he's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to tell Chelsea fans what to think or anything. And I'm not attacking Chelsea fans here at all. I just think that the climb into the top four has been very swift and considering smooth. that they were only a few points ahead of Arsenal when he took over. Right, yeah. They're through to the last 16 of the Champions, uh, the last eight of the Champions League. They're not really conceding goals. They're quite tough to beat. There are going to be some games that are going to be a little tough to watch because a lot of games are tough to watch this season with what everyone's going through. And I, I, I can't... They were, from the jump, it was like from the very first game at the, the Wolves game, there were loads of there was lo- there were loads of people tweeting us actually for the podcast being like this doesn't work like ZH here doesn't work what's this position about oh my god this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong and the thing that and the main takeaway I took from that game I remember saying it on the podcast even though it was nil nil I was just like the speed and the intensity that they moved the ball for seventy five minutes they had like a, a bit of a wobble just after half time I think or just before half time in that game but it was genuinely mind blowing. I was so impressed and I thought it was so incredible to watch and yet there were just all of these kind of folk, like focusing on the negative points. I was like, let the guy work, man. You look at the energy around this Chelsea side now compared to where it was before Christmas and there's that Chelsea kind of 
air of, yeah, we're Chelsea here. You know, when, when Chelsea went through that period of seemingly having a side consisting of players that were always a couple of inches taller than everyone else in their position that they were playing against. Right, yeah. Do you remember? I remember. Like Chelsea, they went, for a, they went for a stage where Chelsea just seemed big. Lampard and Balak. Yeah, and Drogba. Brutal. Terry, Brutal. Like, you know, everyone just looked huge. It's huge. Comparatively. Yeah. They're not there yet, but they're, they've got a little bit of swagger about them again, Chelsea, in terms of like, yeah, you're not beating us today. I've got a thought about this as well a bit. But yeah. And I think, this is the, I think this was the main thing yeah. that Tuckle had to do. Like Rory Saliger said, uh, did anyone expect Chelsea to be the way they are now? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of people Absolute. did. Absolutely. Yeah. A uh, bit of a hot take here, actually. Uh-oh. I was looking at Chelsea's front three and going, oh, like, when he gets the right combination. I actually think I was wrong. I think that Chelsea's front three is going to be like the Sugar Babes. It's just like completely changing, like eternally changing members. I think, and then it'll go back to the original three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think Tuchel's just going to keep mixing it up, and I think as long as he might, you know, move on the players that aren't happy with that constant rotation. But looking at Tuchel and the tools he has in that front three, I've been thinking about this going. Oh, like when he gets his front three, he'll be really happy, and then he'll stick. With it. No, why would he? It doesn't make sense because the amount of attacking challenges you have, defensive challenges in the Premier League and at continental level. You don't want to be predictable. You look at what Pep does over at Manchester City and how he's constantly rotating, swapping in and out. Mares, Foden, De Bruyne. Tuchel is an elite attacking coach and so is Pep. And it would make sense that the elite attacking coaches keep changing things up. So we saw Ziyech, Werner and Havertz. But then you've got Giroud to come. You might see Giroud, Pulisic and Mount another day. Tammy Abraham. Three. Yeah, Tammy Abraham. And just keep swapping it. And Players that aren't happy with that, players that aren't, you know, and Tuchel could just be like, look, you'll get an average of 65 minutes playing time, let's say, a game. Actually, do you know what? That's kind of amazing. If you can play in a 60, 65 minutes a game or 60 minutes a game in a squad that basically has a chance of winning everything, which Chelsea do, because they're that, that squad is... And apart in, from the league this season. But. Yeah, apart but, but from the start of next season, that Chelsea squad is good enough to win anything. And it's good enough to win the Champions League this season. I still think they need one more defender. I think that's right. A central defender. Yes. Yes. Because they've got everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I this, agree. This Chelsea squad is brilliant. And I think the thing that we said when Harvards went there, for example, is that we didn't like the fit because we couldn't see where, how Chelsea were playing under Lampard, how they were setting up, where he would fit in. Obviously, Champ... Uh, Lampard had his favourites and I think with Tuchel there's a little bit more encouragement there because I think what Tuchel will do and this is why I don't really have any worries about who fits where or who's going to be like you said I don't think that Chelsea want or need or Tuchel wants or needs an absolute nailed on front three for every game because fatigue for a start Hmm. Um, I think creating a culture there as well that there is no guaranteed number one in certain positions yes. I think is actually quite healthy. Especially with that, yeah, it's, it solves the problem of yeah. the pieces in that squad. And, and I think if people buy into that, they can be super dangerous because, you know, for example, if they play, if they play Dortmund in the next round, that's a very different set of problems to face than Atleti, yes. for example. 
he has players to provide multiple different solutions. And I think the difference between Tuchel and Lampard is that in Tuchel, you have a guy there who is tactically astute enough to, to recognise and utilise those solutions. Whereas yes. I don't think, I don't think that was the same with Lampard. I think Lampard's strength, as we said, was, was providing the pathway for a lot of you, uh, a lot of the young players to come through and, and establish himself in that Chelsea side, he did that really which well. is also a yeah. really good thing to do. Yeah. I think that what Tuchel is doing now is he's taking players that seemed like questionable fits and making them feel more suited. I'd be really excited if I were a Chelsea fan. Oh my God, are you kidding I'm, me? Like, to be honest, I'm quite yeah. excited already and I'm not a Chelsea fan, just to watch them and see, how, see what he does with the pieces. I mean, my I, Arsenal fan is terrified. Yeah, but, um, right, so, yeah. <laughs> but, the, the foot, but the the football neutral in me, I think is, you know, just Tuchel in the Premier League. And a quick shout for Harvards as well, because obviously that nine is, I felt at times the attacking instincts might not be there, but I think he's like, Harvards is like a Bamford or a Calvert-Lewin. I said this before, maybe that if you see what he gave them against Atleti last night, in terms of the link-up play and the positioning, he gives them so much in the build-up, in the approach. That, that you know he knits he knits into that quite well. I I think the goals can come for him, but he's giving them I think quite a lot already. Yeah, but sense. he wasn't he wasn't playing anywhere near like a number nine though. He was more. But like, it was dropping. To, well, nominally, it was like him, it was like him and Ziyech playing behind Werner, which I think works because that's quite a fluid trio. But I think Harvard's as a nine on his own or a false nine, I don't think is the one at all. It's just it's just not. It, he played there a few times at Leverkusen, and whilst he did okay. It's just not yeah. his best position. It's just, yeah. you know, I don't think. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So we had a few questions about Atleti. Uh, one from Giancarlo M. Sandoval. Why did Atleti throw the tie? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, we said, I think I said, I can't remember that. They, yeah, you they, said, yeah, they, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, they uh, could do worse than being out of the Champions League, especially with this, this opportunity to win the league. Mm. And they are starting to look extremely knackered as well and just not. And. Yeah, they're like, uh, you know what they're like at the moment? They're like a, like a I'm going to do a moose walk. I'm going to drop a golf reference. <laughs> Go on. Learn from your peers. There's a, there's a podcasting tip for everyone to <laughs> steal their references. <laughs> Go for it. It's like a golfer who, who puts lights out and then misses one and then two putts for the rest of the season. Great front nine. Yeah. Slack on the back nine. Yeah. We've yeah. seen that a lot of times, the golfers. Okay. So we had some more questions about Atleti. I mean, I don't think they threw the tie, obviously, but I think that the one thing, one thing that I did think though, was that they were absolutely incredible for that first 10 minutes. Like they, they flew out of the blocks, Atleti. And if I'm being honest, they probably should have scored in the, in the first 10 minutes. They were so dominant and they were swarming Chelsea. And I think as soon as they got, as soon as Chelsea survived that opening 15, Atleti just seemed to drop off after that. 
You see that a lot with ultra-defensive teams. I mean, even Mourinho, Mourinho, like a key aspect of late era Mourinho has been explosive starts and then mm. a regression, which is quite weird. It's almost like they're nudging their way out of the box and then kind of retreat into it again. And we've seen this so many times at Letty this season. They had 50 points in the first yeah. half of the season. Yeah, they dropped as many points, I think, in the last, uh, in like two and a half weeks that they had done when they started that wobble, two and a yeah. half weeks, I think they dropped as many points as they had done all season at that, up to that point. Which is wild, yeah. They have the pieces. And this is the thing with Atleti, and this, I'm a huge fan of Diego Simeone. It's always, it's that prop should go without saying, but you never know. People don't always clock it. But Well, before you go into that, can I throw in a question? Because I think you're probably going to stray into this territory. Okay, uh, from Andy44Fing2. <laughs> Given Atleti now at the Champions League is struggling to maintain what was a 10-point lead in La Liga, is the season a failure if they don't win the league? And if so, at what point do they consider changing Simeone, who I do love as a manager? I think it is a failure if they don't win the league. It is because yeah, I agree, actually. of the tools they have, the wage bill they have, the How players they have. Yeah, yeah, Simeone, yeah they, they, look, it is a failure and it should be regarded as one. I'm sure it will be regarded as one by the players and by Simeone most of all. If you, if, if you gave those pieces to Tuchel, he'd do more with them. And that, I think, is a damning indictment. I, I texted you last night, Ryan, I thought about this. After a certain point of the game, so despite Atleti's like lightning start, after about 13 minutes, Chelsea completed 130 passes, Atleti completed about 30. And I thought to myself, hang on a minute, like, taking away injury, how many passes per 90 does Joao Felix get compared to an elite striker in his bracket, his age and stage of development? Like, there are players getting seasons more worth of possession each season than Joao Felix because of the role he's playing. And look, he's an amazing player. He's highly efficient. We get it. We know, we know what Atleti do. My fear, two or three seasons of being deprived substantially of the ball does affect your development. And it, not just individual level, but affects the attack and cohesion of a team. And the thing that must worry Atleti fans, I think, is that Chelsea knew exactly what to do with them. They knew exactly what to do with them. And I think... I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, Jao Felix made 30 accurate passes at a completion rate of 81%. He's not getting enough of the ball. It's just not. And we know what Atleti can do. We've seen them at their most brilliant. We've seen them when they kind of remove the shackles. And we know that, like, Simeone is in a difficult position because he's caught between defensive brilliance and trying to do something more expansive attackingly. And he's not mastered the ability of that balance, right? We said this before, it's like the sheet that doesn't cover all parts of the body. So do you cover your head or cover your feet? But he's not, this has been a thing for a while now with him. Yeah, I think it's like we, I wrote in the, in the Jao Felix piece, it's just that Simeone's just caught between these two stalls at the moment and I think he doesn't trust himself to fully let go and embrace that side because the thing is that I was looking around at that Atleti side after about 75 minutes before mm. the second goal went in they were still they still only needed two in 15 minutes which right. isn't a long shot you know yeah the problem that I had or the thing that I found really confusing was that the substitutions he made were really odd and I was trying to figure out what he was trying to do um, I know Suarez is record in away Champions League games isn't great at all I think it was like 25 now without an away goal but he's still a pest 
Yeah. He can still do damage even if he doesn't score. When they brought Dembele on and moved Jar Felix wider, I just don't think that really worked. And then it was like Trippier came off. Um, Correa came on for Suarez, I think. And it was just a bit like, yeah, I kind of get this, but I don't really get what he's trying to do here. He's, he's not trying to win the game by the looks of it. I tweeted after I was tweeting about the subs that actually Alaves on Sunday is a bigger game. It really is. It's the last yeah. game before the international break and every single La Liga game now is big for them because Barcelona can win the league. Yes. At Barca have got Atleti and a Clasico. So you can, and if Barcelona win those two games, I think they'll win the league. Just because I think that the psychological impact that that will have on Atleti, and this was what I was going to say, looking around that side after about 75 minutes last night, I was like, this is the problem that Simeone has, is that you don't have a Godin, you don't have a Gabi, you don't have a Diego Costa, you don't have these players. Yeah. You know, even like a Felipe Luiz, who I think was a massively underappreciated part of those key Atleti sides. Yeah. They can't like snarl their way to victory anymore. No. There's something else going on there. There's a creativity thing. There's a tentative, there's a tentative nature to the finishing, the passing. It's just the key attackers have, they have the tools, right? And this is the thing I was yeah. watching. Them, watch, against, against Katafe was a classic example. Mm. They were on the verge of absolutely hammering Katafe and they didn't. And they just missed chance after chance. It's like, to be honest, it's what happened to Brighton, actually. Mm. Like the misses. There is no one there that is going and taking responsibility. Everyone's a little bit hasty. They're a little bit hasty, like the passes into the final third. The finishes, these are things that the players themselves will watch back. They'll watch back their own game film and be like, I did that? Do you know what I mean? And this is not me like being harsh on them. It's like, it's me holding them to their own standards. Even when Joao Felix doesn't have the ball, he's a danger. That's his brilliance, right? Mm -hmm. He is a threat wherever he is. Everyone's, it's like De Bruyne. Everyone's aware of him at all times where he is on the pitch. It's not really that. It's more like, you look at some of the secondary playmakers on that team. And to be fair to Aleti, they should have had a penalty, I think. That should have been a penalty early on. I don't know why it was. This his Piliqueta um, taking down, I think, was it Carrasco? Ah, yeah, yeah. That looked like a penalty to me. But anyway, that, that being said, but that's still not the meaning. I've forgotten about that. But fundamentally, though, there's a thing about chance creation here with Atleti. And it's, you keep looking at each of those playmakers to catch fire. And they, they haven't. They had 44% possession. The, the possession breakdown wasn't drastically wild. Not terrible. Yeah, it's not terrible. But they, they only created six chances. And they didn't really create a big chance. Like Jao Felix had that one chance in the second half where he cut inside and hit it. But you, yeah, I mean, you do look at the talent that they do have there, like with Lorente and Thomas Lamar and Jao Felix Carrasco, and Carrasco yeah, and yeah. Correa and Suarez. And you think actually like a similar thing to Chelsea, like why? That's the only criticism that I really have of Simeone is that I think he is so embedded to this 4-4-2. And he did stray away from it a couple of times early on in the season, I think. And it kind of worked, you know? And We've seen think, it back three, haven't we? Yeah. And I yeah. think that sometimes it does work, but I think he's just still so... It's just his way to do it. And I think that, like... I love Simeone and I think that he has done an inc absolutely incredible job at Atleti over, over a decade. He gets paid well for it, admittedly, but still, I think that if if he could free them up a little bit more, embrace the triangle. I think Levante really spooked them. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Levante twice in like a week really yeah, yeah, yeah. did a number on them. I think. Yeah, 
well, obviously they've got the opportunity now to focus on the league. I think that's a good thing for them. I think re- reducing the amount of fixtures that they have to play for the rest of the season is, gonna, is, is a good thing for them. I think Simeone needs them on the training pitch as much as possible. It's a big look, yeah. They can mm. still do it. Um, maybe should still do it. So yeah, I suppose good luck to them really. So we'll go back to Smitty's question. Are Chelsea the third best team in the world right now? And Niall also said, who are the, be- who are the four best teams in Europe and what's the order? I think it's tricky. Well, the top one is Manchester City, I would say. And then I would say it's Bayern Munich. And I can't tell you with any certainty who the next ones are after that. Uh, the, you know, you, you could see City being upset. I mean, I've met the last, the last date in the Champions League, I think it's the last night. I'm, that's a really good last date. Mm. And I can see almost any one of those last eight lifting the trophy. I can see almost all of them winning it. Um, because I think it's that good. I think those teams have goals in them, actually, the last eight. But what, what do you think? What, what's your take on the sort of top three, top four in Europe? I think it's hard, actually. I think PSG raised their game for the Champions League. I mean, they've been up and down in Liga this season. Uh, they could still win it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they are three points off Lille, who they beat in the Coupe de France midweek. Psychologically, it's a big, big result. They're also level on points with Leon, though. So, I mean, that top three is, is very, very tight. Mm. Um, I mean, they've done a lot of this without a couple of key players, though. And I think if they get them back for the latter stages, I would probably, I would put them in the top four, I think. That's interesting. That's I think it's probably City, Bayern, PSG, Chelsea. I think Chelsea at the moment, yeah. That's a good shout for the top. I'm not sure in what order. I put Chelsea over PSG at the moment. Yeah, I put PSG fourth, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's... Um, but I think the thing is with PSG is that they, they always do have, a, they do have a wobble in them really close. And like, for example, if Liverpool start getting players back, mm. I think Liverpool are, could be dark horses for the Champions League. That's fair, actually, because it's, it's the sure way back in. And do you know what it is? It's almost, a, it's, it's almost escapism from the league, actually. I think that's exactly it. It's the Olympiacos. It's like Liverpool yeah. in, uh, in 05 almost. That sort of, it is all they have. And I'm not trying to say this in a way, I don't want people to take this in a way that I'm saying in a negative way. No, it's like, it's not all they have to play for, but it's, it's such a, it's, it's given them a, ho- a useful focus. And Liverpool, the team that, Liverpool's biggest antidote is out. It's a team like an Atleti, they're out now. They're the most dangerous side for most people. I think Porto could cause a lot of these teams problems though. Yeah, for sure Porto could. I think but the, fu- the funny thing with Porto is now, I don't think there's any teams left in that last eight that will underestimate them yeah I agree that's the thing They'll, that was always the thing with, with teams like Porto in the Champions League there's, they get drawn oh that's a soft touch but none of those coaches are looking at them going oh like, we'll have them no happened with Leon last season when they beat Man City everyone, right. yeah. like, it was just like no, no 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 that is not Porto will not get that treatment they'll be taken very seriously and given the credit I think um, I think it usually depends on the draw but I think Dortmund could be really could be a real handful for people as well Especially if they go into it with the energy of, well, this might not be a thing. This squad of players, they need to go into it with like, we might not all be here next year. Whether they will or not, they need to be like, let's do this now. That thing about, who was it said that we need to do this for the fans? Was it Holland? Holland. After the derby, you, you mentioned uh, the Schalke um, win. If they go in with that mentality and you kind of put the city on their backs, God, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. If they put the city on their backs, something exciting could happen for them. 
I think if Dortmund can avoid Bayern City and maybe Chelsea. But I think that's a soft and. Yeah. But weirdly, I actually think that Dortmund could be okay against Chelsea. I, I know this is a little bit kind of speculative, but I'm just no, thinking about it's like, fair. Who, no, because cause it, you saw how they, how much they rattled an understrength, well, no, a full strength PSG last season in the home leg. Second leg, I think, was was weird because it was the f- no fans and it got that was that was a very weird time. It was felt like football shouldn't even be happening at a time. Full strength Dortmund are clever. Full strength Dortmund against that Chelsea backline, Rudiger will not be as adventurous against that Dortmund attack. He won't be making those runs because you can't. You have to stay home and supervise. And also, it's just Holland. Holland a matchup with Christensen. Yeah, it's not a nice matchup. When you have when you have a centre forward who is bigger, stronger, and quicker, and they're pretty much. 90% of the top level yeah. centre-backs in Europe. Yeah. You, like, that is a problem to play again. You've got goals in them as well. They've got goals in them as yeah. well. They're not as drastically bad defensively as everyone makes out. No. And they will absolutely torture on the counter-attack. If they're fearless, Dortmund, they can cause a lot of people problems. They just, I think that psychologically, just avoiding Bayern Munich and probably Man City is probably best for them. But I, I don't think they'll be too afraid of playing anyone else. Whether they will... Whether they go through or not is a different thing, but I don't think they'll fear anyone else. So. How they handled Sevilla was extremely impressive. Yeah, despite, this is a and, hardened, yeah. it's a hardened cup. A hard. This is like Sevilla's bread and butter is knockout tournaments. Yeah, the psychology of two legs, what to do with those, and they handled large for large periods mm. against a cup side, effectively that because you know Sevilla have been bred to be evolved to be a cup side. They handled their business. A young team. Mm-hmm. Bellingham was strong. Bellingham, like, like, like that pitch was a red carpet. That is a thing. You know, that's a big deal. Bellingham. They need to almost, yeah. Yeah, Bellingham. Yeah. Yeah. He's been really good. He is the real deal. For anyone oh, who hasn't really checked him out this yeah. year, yeah. Bellingham is the truth. Yeah. And um, we kind of just answered, oh, actually, no, let's do it. Mo-, Mo B, after seeing the final eight go through, who is your dark horse to win the Champions League? I mean, we kind of said Liverpool, and based on, on his follow up question, also is Fab the best seat, central defensive midfielder in the world? Wink, wink, yes, lol. I think I've probably <laughs> made him very happy by saying Liverpool can't be dark horses to win the Champions yeah. League. Liverpool dark horses, yes, but Dortmund, if Dortmund, what Dortmund have to do, Dortmund have to imagine themselves lifting the trophy. I don't know how they do that. I don't know if they visualise that. I don't know if it's them like, I don't know what processes they have to go through, but Dortmund have to imagine themselves lifting that trophy. If they can actually imagine themselves doing it, I think they can do it. Yeah, they've got to believe and they've got to... Yeah. That sounds like an obvious thing to say, but it's, it, you know... It, yeah, I mean, it depends okay. if, if, if players in that squad are imagining winning the Champions League at wherever they end up. Right. They, they need to be imagining doing it now. Do it now. Yeah, this is the one. This is, because, this is the title. Yeah, and also if they can, like I've said this a million times, if they can keep that squad together, which is a big if, but I wrote about it when I did that about the WhatsApp group. I hope there's a WhatsApp group where they basically make a pact. I hope there's a WhatsApp group and they're all in there going, do you know what? I don't care. We're winning this year. I don't care about this. I'm not, yeah, we've got careers ahead of us, 13, 14 years left in this game, but I'm, I don't care. I'm winning this right now at 18, at 21, at 20, whatever. I'm winning this. I don't care about anyone. They need to have that kind of energy. Pete Buscini, is Atalanta having a hard time coping with no longer be treated as underdogs in Europe or is it not that deep? 
I think you always see this a little bit second season, second season syndrome where a team catches fire. You saw it with like Monaco a few years ago, but Monaco was a bit different because they just got picked off. That's like their right, players yeah. got picked off. I think Atalanta, uh, I think it was a very emotional season. You've mentioned it a number of times, like obviously being in Bergamo. Um, we've seen what happened with Josep Ilicic. We talked about it recently. Mm. I just think that, yeah, I think when, when, when teams start taking you more seriously than they probably did which it sounds disrespectful, but I think that when you, you know, there will be players look at matches on the fixture list, right? And they will be like, mm, that one or yeah. mm, that one. And I think Atalanta turned into, all right, we've got Atalanta this week. Right, exactly. Um, and I think that just focuses teams a little bit more. In Europe, I just think it's different because I think that, you know, they, hold, they went out to Real Madrid and then, it's Real Madrid in, yeah in the right. second round of the Champions League yeah, I mean it's, it's not, not you know actually, in the round of 16 it's not yeah sometimes it's not that deep which Pete Ramos says, yeah. and Benzema yeah I mean Pete I think you're right Ramos and Benzema come on I think if Ramos doesn't play that tie I think they go through standard yeah I because agree. I think Ramos is that that integral to that um, that Real Madrid side and you've seen that all of their major defeats in the last few years or exits have come when he's not been there yeah and he knows it yeah, and he's often he's often sitting right nearby, just watching, going, "Oh yeah. no, this is a trash fire." Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Real Madrid, there's a question from Emily Oram. Hey, Emily, are Ronaldo, Messi, Zlatan, Modric? So that's the Real Madrid link, etc. The sign of things to come in regards of how long football football players' careers will last, or are they just freaks? I actually nearly wrote a piece about this recently, and I might still do it about how I think we're moving into an age in football and in top level sports in general actually where certain positions uh, players who play in certain positions I think can have their career ex- careers extended longer than we've become accustomed to you look at Lewandowski for example continuing to continuing to get better through his 30s mm-hmm. I think this will happen a lot more I think that as players are looking after their bodies a lot more the game shifts tactically I think that, for example, if you're not in a position that relies on pure pace, you can extend your career. I wonder whether we'll see this, like I mentioned before, about hopefully football adopting this culture of um, just because you're not, but just because you're at an age that you can't start every game and finish every game, it doesn't mean that you have to drop down the league. We still need you for 20, 30 minutes a game look at, at the top level. Yeah, same as, same as the NBA. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you look yeah. at what LeBron's doing in, in the NBA and LeBron shows no signs of slowing down whatsoever. I think Ronaldo has had a drop off and I think he's I think he's probably more suited to just being a number nine now. I'm yeah, yeah, honest. yeah. I think because he went through that period at Real Madrid for a little bit, didn't he? And then he just kind of abandoned it. And his game was always, game. you know, as as technically brilliant as Ronaldo is and was, it what is. The game was based more on explosiveness. And you see that like, you know, Modric's game is all about tempo, mm. right? And Busquets' game, all about tempo and change of direction. Those players, to be honest, they've always existed. They've, I almost feel, uh, I'm unwilling to be too revisionist about this. We have always seen players who've endured for a long time. I mean, Fernando Redondo, drink. Mm. You know, the only thing that ruined him was his, you know, his, his injuries. But mm. that's a player who basically fundamentally played a large amount of games at jogging pace. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I think this is, I think, but then also that, well, it was about Madrid as well. Credit to them. That core of that Madrid side is a bit freakish. Even with the advances in medical technology, it's still a bit freakish. Benzema, Bruce, Modric, Casemiro, 
Varan as well. That durability is astonishing, actually. Mm-hmm. It's astonishing. I looked at the other day, I think I wrote about this actually for The Ringer. And Marcelo too, obviously Marcelo's like, you know, dropped off now to an extent, but... You mean uh, soon to be into Miami's Marcelo? <laughs> yes, that's the most Marcelo. <laughs> Marcelo and Shawcross in a back four. Yes, please. Marcelo to Miami is the most, it's the most Madrid retirement move ever. It's one of the most Marcelo moves ever, isn't it? It's my favourite makes... Marcelo album, actually. Marcelo to Miami. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. good. 100% summer anthems. Goodness me, it's perfect. Um, um, I mean, the Messi thing though, I mean, Messi's 33. So yeah. I don't think that's as, you know, I mean, you look at Iniesta and Javi, for example, I mean, they were, they were supreme deep into their 30s. Iniesta would play that at right, 50 though. Yeah. That, that style, that speed, that the yeah. way he... I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Like with Modric, he's never been the quickest player, Modric. So I think that when you don't rely on... I think you saw it with John Terry as a prime example and a couple of other centre-backs when they've never been that quick. You know, John Terry was a funny one because he's a player who I didn't fully appreciate until I watched him live. And I know that's a cliche. Mm. But I didn't understand space. He dominated and I went to watch him and his... You know, it blew me away when I saw him live. The long-range passing. Yeah, yeah. was yeah. unbelievable. I mean, because you see it on TV, but you don't really see it sometimes, you know? Yeah, because you don't see the speed that pick up and the, the switch of direction. So I think when you're a player that's got that kind of playmaking ability, like all these players that you've named, they're playmakers. Yeah. Um, quick shout, Bayern. Obviously, we haven't mentioned Bayern beat Lazio two one. They cruised through on aggregate six two. Lewandowski penalty and Chupa Moteng. Some. Let's just touch on some other games very very quickly and do a roundup. I mean, if you missed it, there was a big midweek round of fixtures in the Women's Super League. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea beat Everton. 3-0 after <laughs> Melanie Loipoltz missed a penalty in the second minute. Frank Kirby opened the scoring, assisted by Sam Kerr. Penilla Harder made it two, assisted by Frank Kirby. And then Loipoltz made up for the penalty miss by getting the third with about... That's some exciting starts to games recently, Chelsea, haven't they? they got yeah, the they really watch have. The, always watch the, five, the first five minutes of Chelsea women. Yeah. <laughs> Something is always coming Something will off. happen, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Manchester City also won 3-0 over Bristol City. So it's as you were at the top. Caroline Weir, Ellen White and Sam Mewis with the goals for Man City. So it's as you were at the top of the Super League. Chelsea, 44 points. Man City, two points behind. Um, Arsenal have two games in hand on the top two. Manchester United have one. And it's Arsenal-Manchester United on Friday night. Tight at the bottom two. West Ham, two. Birmingham City 2, which was a hell of a game. Birmingham equalised really late in that game. Ruby Mason, loan for Arsenal, equalised in the 90th minute, which, shame for West Ham, because that would have been a very, very, very handy three points indeed. They would have actually gone above Villa and level on points with, with Birmingham City. As it stands, though, they are still level on points with bottom side Bristol City, but they have a hugely superior goal difference of almost 30 goals. Just quickly on WSL, there was a quick update. So Susie Rack, shout out to her. She asked Emma Hayes about Mara Mielder's injury. Mm. Just had surgery and she'll be ready for pre-season. I think it was like she said she was gutted, but also relieved. Yeah. Um, so shout out to Susie for asking that question. So yeah, that's a big loss for them because yeah, it is, yeah. Chelsea in the Champions League could really have done with her leadership. Hopefully she'll still be in the mix in terms of just providing guidance, but a real shame not to have on the pitch. Yeah, uh, Let's get out of here. Let's do it. Thanks for everyone who submitted questions. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. Oh, we need to do the little update about the international break. So Wrighty's House will run like normal. It'll just be two less stadios during the men's international break. 
Uh, we're going to skip Thursday and we're going to do a pre-record for the following Monday. Yeah, hope you forgive us for grabbing a few days before, oh God, before the rest of the season kicks yeah. in. Hope everyone's staying safe and well. Don't forget to check Wrighty's house if you haven't already. We're on Twitter at Stadio. We're on Instagram at Stadio Football. Check the rigger.com forward slash soccer. Anything you want to add, Musa? No, I'm good. I'm you really good? good. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I like it when you're good. We're playing out this episode on another new one. Uh, YL Hoy. Uh, it's Without Love. Go buy that new EP. It's out now. It's called Untitled. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to check the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Stay well, everyone. Have a lovely weekend and we will be back on Monday. Okay. i